driven by excellence, your trusted place for all things logistics and road safety. The UK economy has been struggling with the rising fuel prices and the cost of living. There is also a well-documented shortage of truck drivers that is putting yet more pressure on the supply chain. According to Logistics UK, there is currently a shortfall of over 60,000 LGV drivers. The already exceptionally low number of HGV drivers claiming job seekers allowance fell to just 60. So the marketplace for drivers is extremely competitive. During this podcast, we will deep dive into what employers do or could do to attract more driving talent into the industry, and most importantly, how to retain them. So with me today are two logistics employers, Jack Hicks and Peter Cox. Jack, let's start with you. Can you introduce yourself and tell our listeners what your background is and what your current role is? Yeah, good morning. Um, I'm Jack. I've been in logistics for 13 years now. Initially starting with DHL, where I've spent sort of three, nearly four years there. And uh, and yeah, I've been with Pertemps now for 10 years, branch manager overseeing the recruitment business across one of our branches, and also heading up the skills boot camp um, and working on that project, working closely with the Gov and our employers and providing more drivers into our industry. Amazing. And Peter, what about yeah, you? Yeah, I'm, my name's Pete. I, um, I've been in logistics for 40 years, so probably well before Jack was born. <laughs> and I've started as a driver and I had my own business. Uh, latterly, I've been working for Clean Inning for the last 12 years um, as a transport manager and now head of transport. So let's start this off super easy. Let's go in with recruitment. How do you recruit drivers, Jack? So now I think the the biggest avenue for getting drivers and getting drivers in and people seeing our adverts is definitely online job boards multiple job boards I don't think it's always about people going and looking directly on a job board, but I think the the most common thing a driver does these days is goes onto Google, searches jobs in my area, which will then take them onto a job board. So for us, it's about making sure we've got all the job boards populated, multiple sources there. And then, yeah, social media, I suppose, is a big one now. So trying to reach out and actually go and find the drivers, using advertising to sort of reach out to them and going down that avenue, really, they would probably be the, the biggest ones. But then, I mean, aside from that, it's, it's sort of billboards, it's um, visuals, getting out there and sort of reaching out where we think the drivers might see us. So what about you, Pete? Well, we piggyback onto a lot of that with um, with PDT anyway. So we certainly use a lot of internal recruitment as well. So we, we do um, refer a friend schemes where we offer financial um, rewards for those employees who are referring those particular people. So friends, family, workmates that they've worked with before. Places like Indeed, we use a lot and we use our own internal uh, website and uh, social media. You've both touched on social media. Has that changed anything, made a huge impact in recruiting people? Well, I think for us it does. I mean, you know, the drivers of, of, of my ilk um, mm. who would never touch a piece of technology before, we find it even now a lot, we're trying to recruit more younger people into the marketplace anyway. And um, we find that from a tech point of view, social media posts get it out there really, really quick. It's very sharp. You know, we tend to get a lot of feedback from from those as well. So we get a much more website orientated now. In my day, it was a newspaper. Mm. We don't have newspapers anymore. Uh, I don't think I'd know how to apply for a driver's job anymore. But generally, we get a lot of contact through referral friends and things like, you know, job posts on social media and, 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 and such like. 
Yeah, I think I think in terms of social media, I think even going back sort of 13 years when I started, I think we still used newspapers a little bit then and you'll know even more so going back further than that, that it was probably the thing to do. But I think for me, social media is massive now. I mean, many drivers, they're parking up on their brakes, they're scrolling through their phone, looking through Facebook, looking through Instagram, whatever really, just to see sort of what's going on. And then I think being able to use targeted marketing through social media so that you know th- it pops up on their news feed it goes out and finds them it is key for us and we we attract so many drivers through that i think using some of the some of the fantastic marketing tools everybody's got now as well to use social media i think is is huge for us so um so yeah i think it's crazy probably for you to think 20 30 years ago it, it wouldn't even be considered but wouldn't have a clue yeah but it's interesting now, would you say the printed press still works or is that something you tend to avoid as a whole? I don't think we, we use it at yeah. all. I don't think we use it at all anymore. It's generally all online, either through a recruitment agency or a job board or through Facebook or LinkedIn or you know our own website. Yeah, I think from my point of view, I think we noticed there was probably a time, probably around eight, eight nine years ago where... It was expensive as well to, to advertise through newspapers and, and so on. And the, what we would get back would be would be not worth it at all, not financially viable to, to run with them. I think the only where place where I would say sort of printed press does still work is maybe sort of industry magazines, industry knowledge magazines, things that are sort of left there or exhibitions and sort of stuff that you can get printed in that way. Um, so I think we would definitely do that and look at some of the leading, the, you know, the leading magazines out there. But I think local advertising newspaper, probably not something we would do anymore. What are other ways to recruit drivers? What are things you've both been involved in, like apprenticeship programs? You mentioned Skills Jack, so that's the government skills boot camp. Yeah, absolutely. And Pete, who you've got here today, we work we, we work with him and, and his business on that. But I think that's been great for us. And it's given drivers an opportunity to get into the industry that perhaps might have thought about it a few times. You know, they may have been van delivery drivers or worked in the warehouses or maybe, you know, a, di- a different industry altogether and thought that's something I'd like to do. So many people ask me about HGV training and LGV training. And before the skills boot camp, one of the first questions was, how much does it cost, you know? And then it's like, oh, oh, that's quite a lot of money to sort of side with to go into the industry. So being able to work on this government incentive is has been fantastic i mean we've had hundreds and hundreds and drivers going through and we've had thousands that are that have shown an interest so for me it's great it, it gives an opportunity to get drivers into the industry gives us an opportunity to work closely with businesses like pete's to say that you know we, we can help you here you know as somebody who doesn't maybe especially some of the smes that potentially can't commit to huge amounts of funding to get large numbers through the door it's great to give them an opportunity and um, and work collaboratively to, to to get more drivers into those those companies and into the industry well it's been a challenge for a long time finding the right you know process and the right way to recruit externally so um i think we've actively been trying to promote our own academy and actually the boot camp came along just at the right time for us because it's enabled us to be able to develop the academy a lot better. So through the first cohort that we delivered on, we had, we had 33, I think, went through that particular boot camp process. The big lesson for us has been, you know, making sure you get the right candidate coming through. And it, it's got to be the people that want to come, come into the industry rather than seeing an opportunity to just get another qualification. Because, you know, it is a life skill, this and it's just not about driving there there are many many other opportunities in logistics you know we're really proud in our business that um, a lot of our current supervisors team leaders 
transport managers even have, have started as drivers with us and they've been they've, they've come through the process and they've developed and we've, we've allowed them to do that so you know having opportunities is, is another thing so you know i don't want people to think it's just a, a driving role although they're very very important you know there's there's a there's a pathway that comes all the way through and i'm probably a good demonstration that from a it took me a long time mine but it's a demonstration that, that 40 years ago i was driving yeah Looking from a wider perspective, how do you think the general public view both the process to become an LGV driver and then the role itself? Jack, can I start with you? Um, I think initially, I think a lot of people just don't understand it. I think a lot of people think that it's a, it's a long process and um, and it's something that's quite daunting because people who are driving cars or up and down the motorway are used to seeing these these big lorries and thinking, you know, it must be it must be quite a process to get to drive that or not something I can do. And I think working with a lot of, with PDT and a lot of the people coming through, I think people have been surprised that actually it is achievable. Um, The training out there is of good quality and it's something that we can do. So I think the process is something that, if I'm honest, I think people don't know a huge amount about. I think if people research it, I think a lot of different answers come up um, because you've got sort of class two, class one, you've got seven and a half, you've got trailer licenses and all sorts of things. So I think some people potentially look at it, don't really understand it and then sort of just move on. So I, I think that would, sort of be, would be my experience. But then I think once you actually speak to somebody um, and they get guidance, whether that be from us or from Pete or whoever, I think, and you talk them through the whole process, they're quite surprised that actually it is achievable and the timescales aren't what some people might think they would be, in, especially in comparison to other qualifications or or things that you would need to do to get. I mean, you know, apart from wait times, it's it's it can be done pretty quickly. What's your thought, Pete? Well, it's a real fast track, I think, through to a, to a qualification. You know, you'll struggle to get a qualification as quickly in any other industry, I think. You know, I mean, the, the caveats to that are, I mean, people absolutely still think that it's a dirty job, and it's not. You know, these days the trucks are so much cleaner, the environment's so much cleaner. You know, facilities still, if you're tramping or on long-distance journeys or overnighting, a lot can be challenging, but they're not the only jobs in logistics. You know, there are many, many other jobs which don't require overnight work either. So I think the perception sometimes is a bit of a drawback for us. You know, we, we haven't ever until very recently sold ourselves particularly well. It's always been a under-resourced and, I mean, the driver shortage has been here for, for donkey years. It's not, it's not just a recent thing. This is years and years in the making. And so, you know, trying to recruit younger people and being more diverse as well, you know. So the diversity piece for me, you know, we, we, we actively want to bring more women into our industry we have to do that you know but we've got to be flexible with it you know so we have to understand that, that people's needs are uh, are greater than just uh, coming to work nine to five they, they need the flexibility to work when whenever they whenever they need to and whenever they can yeah i think on that as well i think i think more people than ever are looking are googling and seeing mm. what it is to become a driver because i think it's been such a hot topic and i keep i'd say to people i think oh for the last 12 months but actually probably for the last three or four years now it's been a real topic about driver shortages. It's been on the news. We have been affected. We've got family and friends that have been affected. So I think because of that, people have looked at it and thought, actually, well, if that's an industry that needs people, what do I need to do to get into that industry? So I think people do look at it more. I think people are Googling and, and getting on the internet and seeing what it takes and how to get into the industry. So uh, yeah, I, I think there's probably more out there than there, than there used to be. Um, I think it's up to, to people like us, like PDT and other training schools and things to, to put marketing out there and to put good guidance out there to show 
what it takes and what's needed to become a driver because I think you know there's there's more of an appetite to become a driver now than I think I can ever remember there being so yeah just for our listeners you've both mentioned that it's a quicker process than people think would you be able to give me an average time frame just for people that might be interested yeah I think realistically even with sort of gov waiting times and waiting for test slots and so on I think three to six months is is achievable. If um, at the moment we're going through a large cohort of people with the government boot camp schemes and um, and large amounts going through, so it is difficult because it completely depends on where you are geographically. Um, if we wanted to to book a test in Yeovil, we could probably get one in a few weeks. If we wanted to book a test in Manchester, we might be looking at a couple of months. So I think it, it depends where you are geographically. But in terms of the actual training, you know, if you've got a good training school that will organise everything for you from your medical to your theory and give you the tools that you need to get yourself through that theory the actual practical itself i mean once it's booked you're probably only talking between five and seven days including your test so yeah i think i think it's more the wait times but realistically i think three to six months even in today's market is is achievable yeah and i think with with certainly with the boot camp you know we decided right from the very start to employ our people so we took them on from day one knowing full well that it was a quite a lengthy process going to going to be a going to happen however we've learned by that as well so initially we would have had them on a three-month probation whilst that was occurring but it was quickly realized that because of the, the you know the government wait times for tests more than anything else uh, was a problem you know we've had to extend that so i think you know our average time to take to get through the complete process was 17 weeks so you know it's not a it's not it's not bad it's not a bad time scale to get them through. Yeah. I mean, some were a lot longer, some were a lot lot longer, but we we did have guys going through within twelve as well. So yeah, and I think what Pete was alluding to there is the way that their model is and 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 how it works well with them is that they offer some upfront employment, which is great as well for us as a training school because it means they're engaging with them. And I think it's important whilst we talk about time scales and and looking at how long it takes and how you know quick a process it is, especially compared to an apprenticeship, which you're looking at a sort of a minimum of twelve months that the training doesn't stop there. So once they've got that license, I mean, we work with employers and, and, and part of my role with PDT is key to work with employers to say, what training are you going to give these individuals once they've passed? Because, you know, I think just speaking honestly, the LGV training gets them through a test. Mm. You, you sort of train and it's not too dissimilar to your car test, you know? So I think once they've then passed, it's looking with the employers and saying, what are you doing with these individuals? Almost using them as if like it's an academy or an aftercare service to build them up and get them into there. Because what happens if you don't do that is if, is if they go straight in at the deep end, have a terrible couple of days, things don't go to plan because they're not ready. They just fall out of the industry and we're back to square one. So I think, Pete, actually, probably quite good for you to say what, yeah. what are you do and what well, can you do in terms I mean, of that. Cer- certainly from the onboarding perspective, once the guys are trained, you know, we need to make sure that they're, they're safe. You know, so having a ticket or a licence that tells you you can drive doesn't necessarily mean you've got the experience to do so. So you need to make sure you're going to build that experience up, but in a controlled way. You know, we put buddies with these, with these newly qualified people to ensure that they've got the support that they need. We're continually assessing their progress. We're constantly talking to these people every single day to ensure that they're, they're, they're happy, they're satisfied. We do see some challenges along the way, absolutely. People lose confidence, you know, if they, you know, when reversing, you know, let's just say, for example, they clip a bollard or something like that, they, they lose a little bit of um, confidence and maybe they think it's not the job for them. But it, that's when, you know, our job really kicks in is, is to make sure we can support that. And if we can do that properly and effectively by 
constantly giving them the the you know the availability of toolbox talks and e modules and you know the, the the assessments that we we carry out as part of the academy then we will keep these people. I mean, I'm going to come on a little bit later, a little bit more how to retain people. <laughs> but you know, there's a couple of analogies in there that I think are really, really useful. But, um, you know, the support is is really important and the onboarding process is absolutely critical. Yeah, and I think Pete touched on buddy in there and I think that's, that's key. So um, a lot of our employers will give them buddies so they'll initially go out as a passenger, see the job firsthand, see what's going on. And then that buddy then who would tend to be an experienced driver within the business, who's potentially gone through the same process and been with the company a while, and they would then become their mentor. So I think having that as well is, is a huge help and just gets people along sort of the right path then early on. Yeah, definitely. What incentives do you use to attract drivers to the role? Peter, I want to start with you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we are any different than anybody else, but um, there was very much just before Christmas last year, a huge push to keep drivers. And there was, you know, employers were throwing money at drivers, absolutely throwing money. And it's not sustainable. Mm. You know, rates are still rising. And again, depends on what industry you're working in is whether you can compete. So, you know, we, we have to make sure that the incentives that we give are sustainable. So we've introduced a bonus scheme that allows drivers to earn more money through performance. And that's based on safety and functional performance and service. So there, there are three things there. You know, we've got to be really careful on what we offer because we can't incentivise the wrong way. We can't incentivise people to go faster or to finish quicker. So it's got to be in the right context and in the right way from a legal standpoint. But I think also we try and be as flexible as we can with our people. We have to be. You know, I mean, we're a 24-7, 365 operation. And uh, so we need drivers every minute of the day. And we operate a shift pattern. And again, that's not always the one size that fits all. It's very difficult to offer flexible working around that. But we can certainly, what we can do is fit drivers in around shifts. So the AM shifts and the, and the PM shifts and so on and so forth. The weekdays and the weekends. So, you know, we're able to do that. But it's increasingly difficult. What about you, Jack? Do you have any incentives that you use to attract people? I think for us, I think on the agency side of our business, I think it's definitely about sort of training, development, being able to offer them some extra things whilst working closely with our training department. So if we've got HGB2 drivers or LGB2 drivers, it's about being able to give them the opportunity to potentially upskill to class one. It's about giving them support with their CPC sessions. And, you know, a, a lot of people will just expect them to go and do their CPC on their own. So it's about being able to deliver that for them. We do some other things. I mean, you know, we do recommended friends, which I think was mentioned earlier, which we definitely do. And then I think also we, we sort of act as that person on their behalf to speak with our employers to try and ensure that our employers are paying a fair price for what they're doing, making sure that we're providing industry knowledge and salary surveys and all sorts of things to try and ensure that when we have a driver coming to work for us, we can give them that sort of that peace of mind that, you know, we'll pay them sort of fairly and, and we will act on their behalf to, to ensure we give them plenty of work. And I think that's the key as well is they want to be working. Mm. So it's what work they want to do, being able to say to them, what, you know, what type of work are you looking for? And then talking through the opportunities that we have and working closely with them and that. And I think Pete touched on flexibility I think that's become vital as well, you know. So with us on an agency, obviously that's a biggie. Um, a lot of drivers like that flexibility to be able to say to us, 
what days they want to work, what shifts they want to work, when they want to take their time off, when they want to book their holidays. So I think for us, you know, we need to use that. And, and, and as an agency employer, I say that you know, flexibility is key. Whilst we want them to help us and to, to use a phrase, jump out the trenches for us when we need them to, at the same time, we'll do the same for them. And, you know, if they need time off, if they need to do something different or, you know, have the capacity to backfill that and, and let that happen. I mean, we, we're offering, you know, eye care vouchers and eye care for, for drivers. So, you know, we, we test their eyesight twice a year as a standard for safety perspective. So, you know, if, if there's a requirement, you know, we've got the eye care vouchers and the eye care system, we use the policy. But also, you know, we, we pay now for their medicals. Mm. You know, we can do that through PDT again, which is really easy. So it's a managed service. So that takes a lot of the issues off of us. And also, you know, like I say, the, the bonus scheme really does really does help and the referral friends game as well Jack like we were talking about before you know again it's a significant amount of money you mm. know that, that guys can earn you know I want to go back to the fact that you know that they were throwing money at the drivers before Christmas last year I think it has calmed down a little bit you know we're comfortable where we are at the moment we're competitive which is where we need to be we won't pay the top money because we just wouldn't be able to afford that all mm. the time but we understand where we are in a marketplace and we understand what we're trying to attract yeah, I think in terms of the monetaries there and, and what Pete touches on with, you know, employers paying extra and bonuses and, and uplifts in pay during peak times, I think for us as an incentive as well, it's working with those drivers to say, look, these are the opportunities we have. We can have regular work for you all year round. We can provide you these opportunities with our with, with our large client base. And, you know, I think we try and work with them to say, yes, there's probably going to be some more money around. Mm. You can go in there for six weeks um, or eight weeks. But, you know, when that dries up and that comes to an end, what's then, you know, you know, what opportunities do you have then? And I think we try and work with them to say, these are the opportunities we've got. They're there all year round. Stick with us. Try and work with us. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep you busy throughout the quiet periods as well as the peak periods. That was what I was going to mention is, apart from obviously money, are there any sort of things that the drivers have come to you and suggested or requested any incentives in that way? Yeah, I think drivers often come with some good ideas of and, and incentives. They do like an incentive. I mean, but some of them are, are out there a little bit. So things like gym membership, you know, they ask for. I think in our line of work, sometimes you won't need to join a gym. You'll, you'll just come to work every day. And that's probably enough for what you want to you want to do. But no, I think, you know, they come up with a lot of good ideas. And generally, it's for their benefit, you know, and generally for their family's benefit. And a lot of it revolves around the times. And so they can get this work-life balance. Don't forget, especially in this day and age now, what we've got is a really, really tough economy out there. And we've got drivers that have got young children and, and partners that have to work as well. So that balance is getting harder and harder. So, you know, again, as an employer, we want to be as flexible as we can towards our employees. So, Yeah, I think, I think like we've touched on before, I think drivers are always going to ask for financial benefits and bonuses and large bonuses over, especially peaks like Christmas and things like that, in terms of trying to keep them, retain them. But I think what we know is, is there's definitely more drivers out there in the industry now. And I think from my point of view, I'd be hoping that businesses, rather than throwing large amounts of money at bonuses and, and, and looking to give attract new drivers that way, I think to put more money into the newer drivers, I think there's been sort of a concern about taking on new drivers or, or putting drivers through their licenses and having newly qualified drivers in their businesses. But I think if they can invest some of that money in, in working with those new drivers, giving them the training and the support that they need to get them up to speed, then I think that'll override the additional workforce that they need. So I think if they're trying to attract in drivers from other businesses or from agencies or from other lines by paying big bonuses and paying increased rates, I think 
for me, it would be a far better option to say, actually, let's look at the new drivers. Let's look at the new drivers coming through and how can we put some money into giving them the training materials and, and, and the guidance and the support that they need so that, you know, as we come into peak, we've got these additional drivers that are now ready for our business and, and, and can work with us that way. Uh, for me, I think that would be this year something that we will see more of and hopefully we'll see a lot more of. But um, yeah, for me, I think that would probably be the best avenue to go down. Would you like to see legislative changes made to reduce or simplify the massive rules and regulations that drivers need to comply with? No, because most of them, are for, for safety purposes, there are certain things. I mean, driver CPC is one of them. You know, that, that's um, always been quite contentious with drivers. I mean, we apparently we lost a lot of drivers out of the business because of driver CPC. I'm not sure that's that's true, but I think it's it, you know it's seven hours a year, you know, over a five year period. However, you know, it's got to be relevant to the job that they're doing, and I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of CPC modules out there that are, that are filled up with stuff that just needs to fill the day up, you know, and it's not relevant. I, I think, you know, actually it'd be much more con constructive to employers as well if they were shorter mm. and they were much more bite-sized pieces of, of training over maybe a longer period of time. You know, drivers have already got the education in there through their, through their training. You know, these guys are professionals, you know, and I think sometimes they're not treated like professionals. And they should be valued as they are professionals. They're the experts in the industry. They're ex experts in their job. They come to work every day to drive vehicles that are killing machines. If they're let loose with the wrong people, you know, the biggest part of their job is safety. So that part of the legislation, you just can't skip. You can't change that. We are huge within our business around safety. It's the, it's the main priority for us. We want our guys to go out every day and come back safe every single day. You know, that's our mantra. And I think, you know, any changes around training or anything like that from a legislative point of view has to revolve around, you know, driver CPC alone, but nothing else, in my opinion. <laughs> what about simplifying the sort of EU driver's hour rules? Do you think that needs any work? Uh, I think they're fairly simple. And I think a lot of drivers find them fairly simple. You know, professional drivers find them fairly simple. Working time's the, the one that they find the most difficult. Um, that, that's... Uh, where they will probably pick up the most infringements. But, you know, as a rule, again, you go back to the training, providing they've got that training and that's being supported by their site teams, by the transport managers and their, their team leaders and supervisors. It's part of their role. You know, it's part of their training. It's part of the, it's an expectation. I don't I don't think that it's a difficult thing to, to expect a driver to do. It's a bit like, I go back to my previous answer, they're professionals and experts in their field, you know, and that's how they should be treated. Yeah, I think in terms of the e-driving hours, I think, where they do become slightly difficult is for newly qualified drivers. I think it tends to be something that once they've passed and they've gone into the business that they potentially are expected to know or they wouldn't be as confident with it as they should be. So, But I think that goes back to saying, you know, what we said about earlier is working with employers to say, are they giving them the time? Are they working with them on these things? Because... I know myself, I, I know EU drivers hours rules and and it's not something that you can learn in in, in a two, three hour session, you know. There are things you need to be told again and again, you need to look at again and again until they stick. So I don't think they're massively overcomplicated. They certainly wouldn't be for an experienced driver. Um, but I think somebody new coming into the industry, knowing when they need to be taking their breaks, when they need to have daily rest, which way around they need to take their 15 minute break and, and their 30 minute break. And I think those little things it definitely, you know, we need to make sure we're supporting them. Their employers are supporting them. 
even things like manual entries and, and using tachographs and things. I, mean, I think touch, I think we're quite lucky now. There's not many of the, of the analog tachographs out there anymore. So we're pretty much all digital, which does simplify it a little bit and, and you know, make, makes it easier in terms of having to train people on, on two different things. Yeah, just going off on that point as well, Jack, with the advent of smart tachographs now, I think it's even more important these days that drivers understand drivers' hours rules um, and laws uh, effectively because these things will pick you up on the side of the road and identify any infringements that you may have. So it's massively important that the training's in there, the drivers are aware of it and that they actually complete their manual entries every day and they just follow the rules. What does best practice on onboarding look like? How can you engage with new drivers that enter your business? So I think it needs to be robust. I think you need to interview these people, go through the job and make sure they understand for me, the businesses will be looking to put them into. Um, I think for employers, they need to be making sure it's clear what type of work will be expected, what the working hours are, how things might affect their home life if, it, if, if they're going to be doing a job that's completely different to what they've done before. I think it's very easy to, and it has been very easy to say, to, to, to try, and, try and sell a job to a driver to get them into the business rather than actually be honest and upfront of what that job entails. And then obviously keeping the drivers and retaining them because I think from an onboarding point of view, you need to be sitting down with them, having a thorough interview with them, talking them through the job. Me personally, if I was an employer, I would want them in for a trial day. I would want them to see the job firsthand. I would want them to come around and see the truck, see what they'll be driving and, and go through the ins and outs of the whole operation. So just from what I can affect in terms of an agency point of view, it's about going through all those clients, all the different you know, businesses we work with, what we are sort of, are we putting them into multiple clients or are we assigning them to one particular client um, and going through the, you know, the in-depth bit. But I think probably from your from your point of view, Pete, in terms of you as a business, what, what do you do in terms of bringing permanent well, drivers on? It's all of the above, Jack. And the key for us is because transport is not our main part of our business. It's a supporting mechanism to what we actually do, which is longer uh, linen for our, for our customers. So it's massively important that our drivers understand the business as a whole. So they will spend time in all areas of the business in service. They will spend time on the production line. They will spend time in engineering. They will spend time within the transport department, spend time going out with buddies. They will have all that experience in terms of the induction, which allows them to be able to do some of that on the job but also some of it in the classroom. So they get to know, you know, specifically, I would say, we've recently introduced a new um, CPC module for customer service for clean, bespoke to our business, which is a, a real game changer for us because the importance of service, because drivers are the face of our business. They always have been and they always will be. So it's massively important that, you know, we ensure that they've got the ability, and what's their customer facing, to be able to, to, to deliver a fantastic service. Yes, Interesting, because when doing some research, the average age of an LGV driver is 51 and less than 1.5 a female. How do you think the industry as a whole can attract a younger and more diverse pool of drivers, especially when there's multiple alternative career options available now? Okay, so in terms of the average age, it's been rising sharply over the last few years. And again, you know, we're alluding to a driver shortage that's been out there for probably well over 10 years it's not a recent thing it's only very recent in the press because it's been it's come to light because people aren't getting their, their goods delivered to the supermarket and, and the stores but it's been there for a long time so you know trying to recruit younger people in there all i can ever revert back to is what i wanted to do when i was younger you know it was it, it was something that i always wanted to do so it's either it's sometimes it's in your or it's not but so trying to 
you know, promote logistics in the right way is is incumbent on you know our trade associations as well. Which there, there's a lot of work going into in terms of younger drivers and also in getting women into the business as well. You know, there's a lot of challenges in in that respect. It's a very very small percentage. Clean have definitely targeted that as one of the things that we want to do. And I've got you know a really good example of one of our women drivers that, that started as a driver is now a, a team leader at one of our plants as well. So the pathway was there. I think the challenges are around things like nights out and where they stop. You know, it's not the best place. The facilities aren't great in terms of them stopping out. And also they may well be the, the main, you know, childcare provider in the house with two people working. So again, you know, that flexibility, you know, is required. And it's no surprise that it's such a low percentage. More needs to be done. And more needs to be done to allow that to, you know, to facilitate that as well. Yeah, I think in terms of numbers out, I do think it's a hot topic. I do think it's probably the time now where we will see a slight change and things will start to improve. I think the average age is a mixture of things. I, th- I think now being able to have some more funding programs out there like the Skills Boot Camp to enable, enable younger people to get into the industry without having the huge upfront cost, I think that will help. I think our figures show that it has improved. Those percentages are not good. I think the the percentage of women, I think, on our skills bootcamp program is getting up towards 5%, which is still very, very low, but it's a large improvement on, on the industry average. So I think that's a positive thing. And I think in terms of the average age and things as well, it's about employers and, and, and looking at things and what they've got set up as well. I mean, we still come up against employers that have got minimum age of 25 on their insurances to get drivers in and, and in working for them and in their trucks, which is crazy to think we're putting people through on the skills boot camp, the minimum age criteria is 19. So there's sort of six years there that we could be working with. So I think it's about employers looking at their insur- insurance premiums, looking at what they can do to bring new drivers in to have them set up. And then definitely what Pete says, you know, I know it sounds like an easy thing to say, but getting out to schools, mm. marketing in it and, and showing the importance of it and actually saying it's okay. It, it's okay to join this industry. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female come and do it i've spoken to multiple women who have said they've never been sure about it or their family's been in the industry for years and, and their dad was a lorry driver and so on but they didn't think that they could do it and i think actually giving them the reassurance and showing them case studies of where we've got women in logistics and where we've got women out there driving and delivering for our businesses and using marketing campaigns to show them that is, is, is I think, crucial. And um, and just getting a, a national coverage out there to say, come and join us, come and get into the industry. Um, there's work that needs to be done for sure. Pete mentions about facilities and things out there. And I don't even think that's an issue just for women. I think facilities in, in general need to. That's a wider conversation. Without, but, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, you know, so... Uh, but I think the time is now. And I think if women out there are thinking about getting into the industry, I would just say, do it. Join an employer that cares. Join an employer that will work with you. And we as a training school I and mean, PDT and, and our agency side of the business, we're, you know, we would always work with them to, to make sure they're welcome into the industry for sure. You've touched on this throughout the conversation, but I did just want to ask, are businesses receptive and willing to work with newly qualified drivers? And how is the risk mitigated? Okay, I think historically that was an issue. I think especially from talking on the agency side of the business and, and being a recruitment agency, we were forever told, I want this much experience. I think one of the, one of the sort of the known number out there was I want 180 days experience in the last two years and, and oh, I want somebody that's been driving for three years minimum. And there's definitely was an issue. We hear it less now than we ever have done. And I think that's because businesses have understood and, and known that they need not just younger drivers, but newly qualified drivers into the industry as well. So I don't think it's as much of an issue. I would say that working on, I don't mind to keep referring back, but working on on one of my projects, I'm working on the, the skills boot camp. 
I've been overwhelmed with how much employers have actually worked with newly qualified drivers, how employers like Pete's Business here and many others have said, actually, we'll put a training module together, we'll put an academy together for these people and welcome them into the business because they understand that that's the way forward. You know, it's open to all ages and, and we're happy to take more senior drivers as well. But I think thinking about longevity and getting people in, if you're only looking to to sort of take people 25 and plus, you're losing an age gap there. But I think, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think businesses are more open now for younger drivers. That's easy for me to say as an agency point of view. I'd be interested for Pete to know what sort of, for you as an employer, how, how to clean go about that. I've always been keen on taking younger drivers on is how we all start you don't start unless you get the opportunity so and when you talk about insurance you know that is a challenge um, for a lot of businesses because the cost of insurance just keeps going up and up and up and however it's not as much of a challenge to our insurance we're, we're one of those businesses that's a self-insure as well you see so um, we are absolutely 100% committed to taking in younger drivers newly qualified drivers but also not just the younger drivers but the newly qualified that have come through the skills boot camp or those that have decided that they're going to just change their job role, their industry. I've seen and had conversations with members of our team that have come out of, of IT, uh, 12 years in IT, and decided they want to come and drive for a living. We've had you know, directors of companies come to us on the skills boot camp, would you believe, that want to change from what they're doing. And, it, and it's they, people do see it as an, an opportunity. And that pathway that, that we've been talking about before as well, is absolutely ingrained in what we do. So I want people to understand that, you know, if you come into, you know, our business, for example, you know, it is not just, uh, it, there's, there's no there's no glass ceiling in there. You know, you can absolutely navigate your way through if that's what you want to do, so. Yeah, and I think some of these new drivers, they have so many other skills. I'm talking about how Pete mentions about people changing industry. I think there's a lot of people that work in different industries that spend a lot of time on the road. They may even be in a professional capacity where they're going to and from meetings and they're used to driving long haul. So I think them thinking that actually they have the stresses on top of that, which comes with those roles. And I think a lot of people think to themselves, do you know what? I'd quite like to be out there. I like driving. I enjoy driving. Being out on the open road in my own space and, and doing that myself is something I want to do. So I think... The employers do need to work with those and say, look, let's take on the new people because some of the skill sets that they bring from their other industries in terms of professionalism, in terms of organisation, in, in, in terms of the sort of mental side and how they position, put themselves into certain situations, I think, I think, I think it's massive. So I think it, it can only be a benefit, but it's something that needs to do. And I think employers need to be working with newly qualified drivers. And that's the only way we're going to get more, more into the industry. When going into retention of drivers, Pete, you mentioned you were a driver. How did you get to where you are today? What was the key thing? The key thing? <laughs> There's a lot of key things. And actually, I've got to think back a lot of years. I'm not sure the brain can, um, can go back that far. But I was lucky enough that I was working for an employer that put me through my class one. Um, so we've almost gone full circle with this because um, th there was a time when I passed my, my class one for the first time back in 1984. Um, you could go from a Cat B to a to a Class One license or C plus E as it is now. Yeah. The government changed that law, bought in a new category, C one, as well as ensuring that you could not go straight to a Class One. You had to take that step change from a from a car to a rigid vehicle, then onto an articulated vehicle. That's now recently changed again. It's gone back to it's the gone same, back isn't it? Yeah. To, it's gone full circle again. So you know, and with that, you know, you've got a huge amount of risk that you have to manage as well. So. So I can only revert back to what I did when I first started. You know, you, I went from driving a car, I learned in a 25-foot uh, trailer with a D-series Ford on the front of it. 
and getting out of that once I pass my test and on the road, it's the most frightening thing that, that could ever happen to you. But at the same time, the most exhilarating. But I go back to the fact that, you know, the employer that I was working with at the time must have seen something in me that allowed me to go and take my take my licence. And then I, I was on the road for 27 years, worked for a number of different companies and um, eventually decided I want to start on my own. So that's what I did, started on my own, had a load of fun doing it. <laughs> and... Um, Eventually sold the business and then went on to work for, for Clean. And, and I think my progression from was a lot of it was self-driven. A lot of the work that I did previously was off my own back. You turn yourself into a, into a salesman. You almost become a jack of all trades. And by the time I got to Clean, you know, they what they've got now is, is, is a host of experience of, of what I've picked up over the years. I think what you're getting across, though, and I think it is important, is it's an industry that people tend to stay in. There's a lot of people with a lot of longevity in transport and logistics. People who start, like Pete, as a driver, go into different avenues, into different ventures. And I think there's so many different opportunities within such a big industry to move around. So I think when we're talking about LGB drivers and new drivers and coming into the industry and younger drivers, it doesn't mean they're going to be a driver for the next 50 years. You know, it means that actually that's an avenue into the industry. A lot of drivers that I know have ended up going into the office and going into transport, into planning, going through training to learn about that type of the bit side of the business and then going into transport managers and doing transport management, CPC and all that, all those types of things. So I think you're right. So many people that I meet within the industry have been in it for a long time. And I think, you know, I think what Pete's getting across there is, is there's so many different avenues you can go down. I mean, for him himself to go into the industry, stay in it, it goes to show, you know, sort of what's there and what can be done. And I think that's what we try and say to these new drivers as well is, is actually, yes, become a driver, come into the industry and see where it takes you because, you know, you can really go on and do so many different things and so many different avenues within transport and logistics. It's such a wide open industry to be in. With retaining drivers, can you think of anything the government could do to help what do you think the priority is well certainly for me is is at the moment the skills boot camp's great the academy that we're running is fantastic it is absolutely about what happens next so it's that continuous professional development with them and the government needs to fund that in my opinion you know it's very very onerous on businesses once we've got drivers in there to continue to to fund that training so we, we would like to get some more assistance with, with funding on that. The, the boot camp's great, but we just need that little bit more because I, I go back to that part again about the risk management part of it. You know, it's all very well getting these drivers qualified and trained. You know, we've got to make sure that they, they're safe. And I think that's the big part for me. And again, you go back to retention. You know, I think for me, I, I use an old fishing analogy all the time. It's where... You know, if you want to get the right people, you've got to throw a lot of rods out there with some juicy fat worms on the end of the hooks. Mm-hmm. When you catch them, you've got to land them and then you've got to keep them. You know, so that, that's the analogy I always use with people. Is you've got to treat people right, respect them, you know, and treat them like the experts that they are in their field. When we talk about retention as well, I think we've spoken a lot today and, I, and I've obviously spoken a lot about newly qualified drivers and getting new drivers into the industry. But I think when you look over the last couple of years, I think we've gone through a period where actually people are more aware now of how important drivers are. And I think even looking at existing drivers and drivers that are are out there and and even going through the whole period of being key workers and and me personally, I have family and friends and stuff who seem to take a more interest in the industry and say, oh, wow, you know, how, how are your drivers doing and, and, and what are they up to? So I think that's really key as well. 
well that we need to, to to sort of push on and make sure that that, that stays and that it isn't forgotten because I think from that has led to some investment and has less, led to the government pushing some money through to bring new drivers in but also those ones that we've already got is is you know just going back through you know the hospitals the the supermarkets when people are locked in and they still need to get food on the shelves mm -hmm. and, and and need to get medical supplies out there and, and the demands that were just crazy you know working with some of the medicals and pharmaceutical companies and thinking where are we going to get all these drivers from and how are we going to deliver this and then the drivers out there working in those environments when they've got families at home and maybe vulnerable people that they've got to think about so i think all of those things which i think were very hard hitting at the time and now possibly starting to sort of fade away a little bit in the background i think it's about remembering that you know it's such an important industry these drivers are so important to us um to our country and and, and to what we you know what we do for everyday life so i think trying to keep that message strong, market that, and also make sure that, you know, we keep investing in these people and, and, and do all we can to keep them and retain them and keep them in our business. Yeah, they keep the country moving. Keep the country moving, yeah, that's exactly. right. Exactly. What are three of your main top tips to retain a driver? I think there's obviously an investment element. I think we need to make sure that we have regular pay reviews with them. I think the other thing, and, and we've reached out to our drivers and we've, we've spoken to them and done surveys and things as well. And actually, they just want to feel valued. And a lot of the drivers want to know that there's a support there, that we care. We understand that they've they got families at home as well. And I think anything we can do with working conditions and, and, and to make life easier, especially with those drivers we've got who are having to night out in the week and, and go and use these facilities, I think... That's a key. So I think in terms of, I'm not sure if there's three actual things to put in place, but I would say definitely ensuring that there's regular salary reviews. I think understanding them and working with them and investing in them for their development. And then I would definitely just say the personal approach and understanding what they've got going on in life. Yeah, I, again, I'll reach out. I've said it you know, a few times before today that the respect Mm -hmm. Part of it is 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 huge, you know, for drivers. They if they don't feel respected or valued, um, which a lot of drivers don't, it's an issue that we we've, we've just got to stop. You know, we we make a point. The, the, the most simple thing you can do every day is say thank you at the end of the shift. You know, we encourage our transport managers or and team leaders to ensure that they do that every single day to our to our drivers because it's so important. If we don't value our people. You know, we don't deserve to keep them. Mm. You know, if we don't respect our people, we don't deserve to keep them. Somebody else will get the benefit of what we put into them. So we put a lot of work, a lot of training, a lot of effort into making sure we, we want to retain these people because we absolutely do. We absolutely value them, absolutely respect them. They are the professionals, they're the experts in the industry. You know, why would we not? I think that's key. I think time give them time because i think we see our drivers so little because they're out there doing the job they're out there like he said being the face of the business and out there doing the delivery i think it's very easy to forget that when a driver does come into the office or or comes to drop his timesheet or for you pete comes to dip his taco card or whatever they're doing if you see that driver get up out your seat go and speak to them give them five minutes not necessarily to say how's the job gone today but how are you doing how's life everything okay anything we can support you with and i know it sounds so simple but honestly it goes a long way and the feedback we get from drivers is that actually that's something that doesn't happen they you know they're just seen a sort of a number goes out there delivers comes back doesn't speak to anybody does does their sort of clean up gets back in the car and goes home so i think pete's alluded to it there but i think that's that's key as well Thank you, Pete and Jack. I'm sure our listeners have got some fantastic takeaways from today's conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wealth of knowledge for us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. You're welcome. 
running through my head right now is just thank you, thank you, thank you. What a simple way to enhance the sector for all those involved by just saying thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Driven by Excellence. We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, please don't forget to click that follow button, leave us a review or share this episode with a colleague. For more information and to keep up to date with industry news, head to our website, pdtfleettrainingsolutions.co.uk.